Uh, because I thought we were meeting outdoors, I kind of kept our sermon series on Peter on hold a little bit and uh, put together a little bit something different for our sermon time this morning. And it is a sermon, but I hope it comes across to us as a kind of guided meditation. And the hope that I have is that these words that we're looking at, we're going to continue to chew on them, we're going to continue to think about them, and uh, maybe the Lord will show us some stuff over the course of this next week. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, and these are very familiar words. But before I read them this morning, I just want to ask you, how are you doing? How is it in your heart? I want you to notice the way you came to church this morning. What were you thinking about? What was the laughter or the agitation or the fluster of hurry? What was your week like this last week? What was your evening like last night? How do you come here this morning? Are you tired? Are you well rested? How is your soul? Let's pay attention to your body. Is there something in your body that hurts? Are you uncomfortable? Are you in a position now where you are able to listen well? How's your clothing feel on you? What's your breathing like right now? How do you come to this place this morning? Why do you come to this place this morning? And look around at all the people in this room. There's people out in the parking lot. You see these people around you? What are they carrying? How does your brother or sister come here this morning? Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Every time I come to these words, they convict me, they teach me, they encourage me with possibility. How do you come this morning to the Eugene Church of Christ? Let's just listen to these words. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The words come and take imply a choice to be made on our part. Will you come? Will you take? The word learn implies a process. How many of your teachers in your life can you describe as being gentle and humble in heart? The word yoke, yoke, not an egg yoke, like a harness yoke. It implies work to be done. Do you know what a yoke looks like? Can you imagine what a yoke feels like? People don't like yokes. Those are for animals, not people. You think, why would I choose a yoke? Yokes are uncomfortable things. Why would I want that? And we constantly search for ways to live our life without taking a yoke and without breaking a sweat. We say, no sweat. We want to find ways to live our life off of other people's sweat. Let's let other people sweat so I don't have to sweat so much. Many are willing to trust Jesus for pie in the sky by and by. Jesus, my insurance policy in case just in case it's true. But to live in the yoke of Christ, to live a life of self-sacrifice. If you are honest, you know that you hide from this and you run from this and you make excuses about this. 
And as your friend and your preacher, I have to tell you that even though we try to get out of the yoke of Christ, there is no no yoke option. Not choosing Christ is a choice. If you don't take Christ's yoke, you are in fact, whatever else that yoke is, you are in fact under a yoke that in the end it will kill you. A yoke of constant exhaustion, a yoke that is impossibly heavy, a yoke where our teachers are not humble and not gentle. We think by choosing our own yoke, my own way, thank you very much, I know what is best needed to provide for my own comfort, my own rest, my own security, my own pleasure. I know how to pleasure myself. Thank you very much, Lord. I can handle that part. But that is a kind of rest that is fleeting. And these things are fleeting because they do not give rest for our soul. Is your soul tired? In what ways is your soul tired? We have more wealth than we need. We take great vacations. We eat the finest food. We all have food that we love. Thank you, Lord. We fill our time with hobbies we love sports. We spend lots of time with our kids or our friends or our family. Some of us, we are disciplined in our exercise. We're in great shape. We feel beautiful. We wear nice clothes that make us feel good about ourselves. We live a social media influencer kind of life that others would envy and try to emulate. You can have your dream car your dream house, your dream job, your dream lover. You can be the smartest person in the room. Maybe you have more letters after your name than anyone else in this room. You can be the most creative, the most artistic among us. Maybe you are our very best singer. Maybe you're the funniest. Maybe you are the life of the party. Maybe the room lights up when you enter into it. See, each of us, in one way or another, we face the same temptations that Jesus Christ himself faced. And the devil took him up onto a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You can have all the very best this world has to offer. You can have the best of this world in greater quantity and in greater quality. 
than any of the people around you, than any other generation of your family that's come before you. You can have all of that and still have no rest for your soul. All of that and still have no rest for your soul. Because on the outside, you've made it. But on the inside, your soul is starving to death. Your soul is hurting. It's malnourished, shredded, broken, thin like butter scraped across too much toast. More than anything else, we need rest for our souls. So let me ask you this. It's part of our meditation this morning. Are you wearing the yoke of Christ? Am I wearing the yoke of Jesus Christ? Many of us would say, yes, yes, I'm wearing the yoke of Christ. And it's kind of true. And yet there is a truth of your life that betrays your words. It betrays the emptiness of your words, your time, your finances, your efforts, the things that captivate you, the things that you pay attention to. They all betray your own allegiance to yourself. They show your selfishness. We can say the words, but is your life producing the fruit of the kingdom? To the extent that your life is producing the fruit of the kingdom, that is the extent to which you have come to the one who gives rest for the soul. And we all realize our own hypocrisy. If you think about it, you do. Our propensity to make it all about me. And we fight against that part of ourselves. We're embarrassed about that part of ourselves. We don't like that part of ourselves. Think about the part of yourself that you're kind of ashamed of. Even that part of you, Christ says, come to me. Come to me with your brokenness, your selfishness. Come to me with your lies, your sin. Come to me with your hypocrisy. And I will give you rest. And we fight against this part of ourselves, and we're ashamed. Because we inevitably lose, and we lose again and again 
and again. We fail because we just try to act like Jesus. We try to act like Jesus in the moment of crisis, but we have failed to take on the full lifestyle of Jesus. We have failed because we have not taken on the discipline of Jesus either, honestly. The secret of the easy yoke involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle, following in his steps, cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lived is to live as he did all his life. And Jesus lived a life that was constantly focused on his heavenly Father, constantly trusting, constantly in contact, constantly thinking of, enamored by, in love with, his heavenly Father. Jesus never wandered away from his Father. Jesus abided in God. So I have some envelopes. Brett and uh, Denise said they would help me out, pass them out. It's just one for your family cluster or your row of people. Uh, If we have some left over, maybe we'll get out to the cars too. I'm going to describe the image. Don't open those envelopes yet. Just hold them. I will tell you when you can open that envelope. I'm going to tell you what is in that envelope, and then you can decide for yourself whether or not you want to open this envelope. part of our meditation this morning, I'm going to describe to you a picture that's in this envelope. And the reason why I'm letting you decide whether you want to open this envelope or not is because this is a disturbing image. It's a disturbing picture in there. And I'm going to use this image as an analogy to help us think about what does the human soul look like apart from Jesus Christ? If there is, in fact, a God in heaven and we were created to be in relationship with him, what does a soul look like that has turned away from God? You see, for some of us, my words just kind of float out there. I'm trying to speak my words a little bit differently this morning, so maybe you hear them a different way. But for some of us still, a picture speaks a thousand words you will react to a picture much more strongly than a thousand words that come out of my mouth. For some of us, that's true, and that's okay. That's okay to be one of the picture people. And after I describe the picture, you can choose whether or not you want to look at it. It's the picture of, um, well, let me just say, it is the Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph of a real-life situation that was taken in the end of 1993, and it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1994. See, it's a picture inside this envelope that was taken during a famine in South Sudan in the early 90s. 
It was taken by a South African photojournalist named Kevin Carter when he came across a starving child that was being stalked by a vulture. The starving girl was crawling across the sandy ground trying to make it to a food station. And the vulture in the picture could see that the little girl's strength was almost spent. This vulture could see that it would just be a matter of time. So it just sat by patiently watching. In March 1993, the New York Times was seeking an illustration or some picture to illustrate the horror of what was happening in South Sudan. And so the newspaper's editor was told about an image of a vulture stalking a starving child who had collapsed in the sand. So in March of 1993, the New York Times published this caption, uh, published this picture with a caption underneath it that read, a little girl weakened from hunger collapsed recently along the trail to a feeding center in Ayad's Sudan, South Sudan. Nearby, a vulture waited. And the first publication in the New York Times, it says it caused a sensation. As papers and magazines around the world published the Im this image in them. And before the publishing, there was not enough resources to address the scale of the emergency in South Sudan. But this is the photo that woke up a sleeping world to the plight of these people. The immediate public reaction was to send money to any humanitarian organization doing anything whatsoever in Sudan. And due to the public reaction and questions about this child's condition, the, the New York Times was flooded with these questions all wanting to know what happened to this little girl. So they published a special edition a few days later, which said in part, a picture last Friday from an article about the Sudan showed a little Sudanese girl who had collapsed from hunger on the trail to a feeding center, center in Ayad. A vulture lurked behind her. Many readers have asked about the fate of the little girl, and the photographer reports that she recovered enough to resume her trek after the vulture had been chased away. It is not known whether she reached the center. Four months after being awarded the Pulitzer Prize for feature photography, the photojournalist Kevin Carter took his own life at the age of 33. So in some ways, the brokenness of this starving little girl and the things that he had witnessed there, they had revealed his own starving soul, his own broken soul. That's what's in the envelope. You don't have to open it and look at it, but if you would like to see what it looks like and let that picture impact you, you can go ahead and open your envelope now. Rip it open. Take a look. 
Let it affect you. Or not. What is your gut reaction to this picture? What is your gut reaction to the words that I've shared with you, telling you what this picture is? Imagine, if you will, that this is a picture of a human soul apart from God, a human soul separated from God. So we could ask then, in what ways maybe is this photo true about me? Not to take away from the horror of the situation that happened back then in the early 90s, but to use this as something as a catalyst to maybe look and think about the condition of your own soul. What are the vultures in your life that are circling you? See, many of us have come to Jesus. We have come when we heard the call We've been baptized into Christ. Just because you were baptized, does that mean you have stayed near the Lord? We have not stayed. Even after we've come, we have wandered away. We've wandered away from our safety. We have wandered away from our nourishment. We have wandered away from our source of life. And when we realize that in some way, in one way or another, that we have a weak or malnourished soul, when we realize this about ourselves, we come crawling back. Crawling back with what little strength and what little reserves we have. But again and again and again, as many times as we come again and again and again, we fail to stay. We stay for a while, for a quick pick-me-up. But then we're distracted. And our love for Christ grows weak. And we wander far afield again. And we don't even realize this, and then suddenly, suddenly something happens to get our attention again. Something is just too painful. Your reaction too strong. Your helplessness in your circumstances too great. 
We wake up to our own need, our own brokenness, our own malnourished souls, and we come back like the prodigal son waking up and realizing, I want to fill my stomach with the pig pods. But how much do just the servants, the lowest servants of my father have? They have enough to eat. There is nourishment there. And something in our hearts pleads with us when we wander away from Christ. Come to me. Come to me. See, brothers and sisters, you do well to come to Jesus. You do well to come. And as many times as you wander away, he calls you back, and you will come back, and he will take care of you. You do well to come. You do better to learn to abide. You do well to come to Jesus. You do better to learn to remain in him. You see, the call of Jesus is to keep company with him. Jesus longs to be more than your quick pit stop. He longs to be more than your quick energy drink boost. He longs to be more than your watering hole. If you let him, Jesus wants to be your constant companion. He wants to be with you constantly. And he is never the one who wanders away from us. But we wander away from him. Hear these words from John the 15th chapter. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to read those words one more time to just let them come in and do their work. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. How are you doing at remaining in the vine? How are you doing at remaining in Christ? Think about your day. How long do you go in your day before your thoughts turn to Jesus Christ? You go hours sometimes without thinking about Jesus? I do. Some of us go days, some people weeks, even months without thinking about Jesus, really thinking about Jesus, his life. What's he thinking about things? What is Jesus doing right now? What does Jesus want from me? See, the gift of the life in Christ, the gift of the Christian life, is not just to come. You do well to come. You do better to abide. What Jesus offers us is so much greater than a quick fix-me-up, a quick pick-up, dust you off, and send you out in the fray again. He is in the fray with us, whether we acknowledge that and recognize that or not. He offers us true companionship. And many times we just are in the habit of not even thinking about Jesus that way. We don't keep constant company with Jesus sometimes because we worry about what he might ask us to give up. I'd rather do other things than think about Jesus. How do you think about Jesus constantly? Well, that's a yoke that we learn. We don't like yokes. We know that. But even more than yokes, we don't like the idea of being pruned. Who wants to be pruned? Who wants to be told where you are wrong, what you have done that is broken, what is ill-fitting? We imagine the very worst of the pruning process, and so we don't come near to Christ. We don't abide in God. We don't see how God's pruning is, in fact, for our benefit and good. And it makes us even more fruitful, the only fruit that is able to feed a starving soul. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We fear this process. We try to hide from it. We rather just not think about it or know about it. We forget the blessing that, you know what, the gardener, the gardener is never closer to the vine 
than when he is pruning it. The gardener's never closer to the vine than when he's pruning it. Because in that moment when he's pruning it, he knows exactly what needs to take off and what doesn't belong and what needs to be preserved. He has that vine in his hands. The gardener's never closer to the vine except that moment when he's pruning it. The yoke of Christ is in fact a yoke and there is work to be done. There's work to be done. And the gardener needs to remove things in you. The things that are keeping you from bearing fruit. Things that are ill-fitting. Things that really don't belong. But the fruit the Lord longs to produce in our lives, that fruit, it, it will feed our souls. But that fruit is not just meant for us alone. The fruit the Savior longs to produce in us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, all of those things are for community. All of those things, as much as they are for myself, they are for my neighbor. They are for my brother and sister. They are for the weary person who is in rebellion against the Lord. So think back to that image of this this child with the stalking vulture. What if that isn't just an image of you, maybe your soul? What if that's an image of the condition of your neighbor who you know is apart from Christ? No matter what the trappings are on the outside, there is a reality in your neighbor's soul, and you know it's there. And you don't know how to address it. It always gets uncomfortable very quickly. You don't know how to help the starving souls of our neighbors. Is my responsibility to my neighbor just to shoo off a few vultures? If I I shoo off a few vultures, is that enough? Maybe it's to make sure that that soul gets to the soul feeding station. Does the suffering of your neighbor mean anything to you? I, I got to say, I am overwhelmed by people around me a lot of times. And we live our lives like we're riding on an elevator. We're all in proximity. No one's looking at each other. No one's talking. No one's sharing about their weariness of soul. And it's all this image that we manage. But we know, we know what the reality is. We know the brokenness of our neighbor because we are broken ourselves. And we think, you know what? I'm barely holding it together myself. I can't handle someone else's drama. I've got nothing left to give. It's not just for you. 
to fix the brokenness of the world. It's not just for this church. The only one capable of handling that kind of brokenness on the scale of the filth of this world is a Savior who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Have you become calloused to the plight of your neighbor? Henry David Thoreau Thus men will lie on their backs talking about the full fall of man and never make an effort to get up. Come up, Dad. The call of King Jesus is to come. And the call of King Jesus is to abide. Remain in me. Abide in me. I invite you to keep chewing on these verses. These quotes, if you want, they're on the back of that page over the course of this next week. Think about the truth of these things. Think about what is it that disturbs me about this? What is comforted? What comfort I find in it? And maybe you'll learn to recognize more clearly some of the needs of your own soul. What are the needs of your soul? In what ways has your soul moved away from the only source of life that can bring it nourishment and food and healing? Because to all you who are tired, for all you who are hungry, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, abide in me. If you have needs for the prayers of this church, if you'd like to put the Lord in on, in on, um, on, on, on in baptism, if there's some way we can pray for you or help you, you know what, these invitations that I give, not very many people in our day and time, they're going to come up and, and do this publicly. My email, my phone number, it's available to all of you, our elders godly women, counsel. The invitation is to find the Savior in each other too. And the invitation is to come. The invitation is to abide. So that is an opportunity that's available to you. Let's uh, stand and sing together.